Listening to Equip My Job, a podcast about songwriting with your hosts Derek Harrison and Travis Reitzma. I quit my job. I quit my job. I quit my job. I'm free today. Hi, folks. Today we're doing something a little bit different on the podcast. We've got three guests we've invited in to talk about the life, the music, and the influence of David Bowie and the role that death and mortality play in songwriting. Our guests are Sky Wallace, Sean William Clark, and I Quit My Job alumnus Will Whitwam of the band The Wilderness of Manitoba. All three of these artists can be found online. They've all got Bandcamp pages where you can stream some of their music, and I encourage you all to do so, and if you like it, to buy it. But in the meantime, we're going to go to our conversation in tribute to the great David Bowie. start with with will um what does what does bowie mean to you as a songwriter well i it's it's actually interesting that that uh because i i just obviously whenever derek asked me to do something and talk about music i'll say yes Um, (laughs) but i i don't i don't know if i have a lot to offer about like bowie personally but i like in terms of my connection with 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 him like i you know like let's say the way i'm connected to somebody like Joni mitchell for instance Mm -hmm. but I think what I can talk about is just how I can perceive his attachment to virtually everyone else. It's like yeah. when someone is so archetypal, you don't really, uh, they never really become your, your own. Like you never actually get to discover mm. them yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually, that's an amazing thing to, to have. Like I can think about this, um, old video of my, my brother and I running around as like two and three year old and talking about another band that I would liken to archetypal. The Beatles, it was Eleanor Rigby was playing in the background, and I just think about, well, I never got to discover the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. I never got to discover Bowie, but yeah. I but I think that's what's so amazing about it, is that their influence is all ever like pervasive and affected everybody that has affected me. So I kind of look at it <laughs> as like this long string of... And then obviously it's almost generational. It's, like, it's generational, and then, all, and then to him, to, to me, it's just like the, the performance of, of what he is, is, is yeah. the art. Because like, he's more than a songwriter. He's, he's more, more than, than a songwriter, musician. exactly. And yeah. it's like, there's there's so many aspects of David Bowie, like someone had that meme that was like, all of his changing, and, and it's just the fact that he's like his own canvas, and it, like that that's inspirational. So it does, it, even though I don't own a Bowie album and haven't spent a ton of time with the music, although I know the hits, obviously, yeah. uh, He's just—he's obviously affected me. So it's—it's—it's mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting for me to kind of come at it from that angle. I may not have as much of a personal connection, maybe less than anyone here. I don't know yet. We'll find out. But, uh, <laughs> but I guess that's how I kind of start things. I, why, why it interests me because it—it's it, whenever you something someone so important and uh, you know in, influential in the world passes, there's there's a lot of empty space there, and I think mm-hmm. it's um it's a nice opportunity to. Visit, so. so what I find interesting about this archetypal thing is that uh, for me, and maybe it's because of the music, I began in punk, really. Mm-hmm. 
and not real punk. I began in you know the recent punk, and then moved to yeah. the, to the pop the, punk. Right, yeah. Yeah. but um, I think the problem with archetypal stuff for me around that part of my life is that the fact that it was so ubiquitous and so like everybody was a fan of these of, of the Beatles and of Bowie. Uh, I never paid any attention. Right. <laughs> you, did, I, you did have a bit of that sort of, well, if everybody listens to it, I'm not going to listen to it. Even when I... Yeah. You discover things for yourself, too, though. Yeah. yeah. That's just part of being honest yeah. with, you know, a lot of stuff gets thrown at. Mm. Right? And I mean, I don't think anyone necessarily wants to be spoon-fed. Yeah. You know? mm. I right. mean, people are, but this, but we're, you know, I mean, mm. I think there's some, there is maybe some arbitrary subjectivity to what we're talking about, but when we're talking about boys and boy and, and the Beatles, it's, we're talking about qualities. Yeah. Really They're like, ubiquitous. Like, yeah. You're yeah. going to hear yeah. them whether you, you really try to or not. You can't dispute that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But it made, it made it such a late life discovery for me. A lot of, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things I missed out and yeah. uh, on because I was too much of a snobby kid basically yeah. <laughs> i can but relate to it's funny that it can have like both effects mm-hmm. yeah it can push some people further away but then mm-hmm. it can but it still like constantly brings people back in I, when something's so powerful and a body of work is so uh powerful i guess is the right word it, you know and i think there's something to be said about acquiring uh the tastes like eating olives you know you have to eat mm-hmm. 12 olives before you like them yeah. <laughs> but i had that i mean look at someone else archetypal like neil young i like my family just my grand my grandmother specifically would always just play neil young and she loved like the harvest record and stuff and i just like took me a very long time to get into it and then i think there's just this one and i was late in my life again i was probably in my 20s um and i was in this bar in the west end and i had a lot of like you know a lot of one of those very lost times where i didn't really know what was happening at all and uh <laughs> and um thrasher came on and i was yeah. I, I just remember writing down like i never really understood neil until like right now and then, <laughs> then i then i listened to like and i read shaky and i listened to all the music mm, and, you know yeah. years yeah. later i'm just like where was i when i was 14 like right obviously yeah. well, like way into the smashing pumpkins and like you know but, <laughs> yeah but well, it was yeah. the um it was the alternate sort of bowie stuff that got me into bowie like in the sense that it was something like Thrasher for you to get into Neil Young, yeah. which a lot of people don't know. You know, at, when I first got into Bowie, it was past like it was you know mid to late '90s, so he'd released a lot of really bad albums. You know, like Let's Dance, I love now. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, I, I hated could see Let's that Dance. being an alienating yeah, for somebody but, in the '90s. Totally, and, and Let's Dance, and then there was like Tonight, which is not very good, and then uh, what's the one that comes after Tonight? That's even worse. Um, Anyways, so we released kind of, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, uh, Black Tie, White Noise, which is not great either. Uh, but then uh, a buddy of mine, we were in a, like a CD store in, um, back home in Aurelia, and uh, he picked up a used copy of Outside, you know mm. that record? And uh, mm. he handed it to Do me. Do you know like, what year that is? Oh, 96 or 97, maybe? Or so that's a, he released that in the 90s. Late 90s, yeah. It's, um, uh, yeah, I think late 90s. And uh, Brian Eno produced it, mm-hmm. and uh, so my friend handed it to me, and he said, <clears throat> "He said, buy this. If you don't like it, I'll give you the money for it." And I was like, yeah. oh, "I don't know, you know. I've got like Let's Dance in my ear. Like I don't think so." And then he's like, "Trust me. All right, get it. Take it home. Play track four, which is a song called A Small Plot of Land." And he's like, "And if you don't like it after that one track, I'll buy it back from you." So I said, "Okay, I'll do it." <laughs> and it blew my mind. Like if you've ever heard this tune, it's like. 
uh, it's this like Mike Garson, who's the piano player. It's this very avant-garde piano, like heavy avant-garde piano stuff through the whole thing. And uh, Zach Altman's a drummer, and he's just holding down a great beat, and Bowie's caterwauling over top of it. And it was like <laughs> unlike anything I ever expected from him, um, because I'd never really heard like you know any of his Berlin stuff or mm-hmm. whatever. So uh, that was like a big life-changing moment for me for listening. Anyways, yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Sky? Uh, I had. So, so my parents, my my dad was really into like like Neil Young. My mom showed me like Tom Waits, but I was never ever mom's exposed so cool. to. Yeah. I know my mom's book. <laughs> One time, my mom just bought Rain Dogs because it was her favorite album of Tom Waits, and she bought it from like the ten dollar bucket at HMV, and she's like, "Guys, sit down in the car. We're listening to Rain Dogs, and like so Singapore cool. is the first song." I'm like, oh, sing to yeah. And we're like, "Mom, what is this? It's weird." And then we were like ten or something, and then eventually we just like started to like it because mm-hmm. we listened to it. It yeah. was forced yeah. to us. But I never was exposed to David Bowie until I, it, was, it was a really arbitrary way of discovering David Bowie. It was, it was like grade 11 or 12. And you remember the Life Aquatic oh, yeah. came out? Oh, right. And that guy, right. Sue, I don't know how to pronounce this, Sue, Sue, Sue George? George? Yeah, Sue he did George. all of the acoustic versions of all the David Bowie songs. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, that sounds cool. And then I started listening to the rest of it and it just awakened something mm-hmm. in me where mm-hmm. I don't know, like end of high school, I was this little weirdo, and I didn't really know, like, what anything meant <laughs> in the world, and then... I still don't. Just no, yeah, no, I still don't, but, I gotta uh, out yeah, talking. no, at least I had the excuse of being, you know, a lot of really hormonal, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no, the, the big one for me was the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust, yeah. Inspires oh, yeah. from Mars, and, like, mm-hmm. just, like, it showed me this type of music that could be, like, orchestral and epic and, like, heart-rendering and, like, super weird, mm-hmm. and it just, it was Still the, with amazing melodies. Oh, and all yeah. yeah, and I think things. that really affected my songwriting mm-hmm. now, just in the way that, like, you know, he uses different strings and just brings it all together and maps it all out in a way. Like, you can tell it's all very formulated. Mm-hmm. When he mm-hmm. writes the songs, he has these big ideas, and he has all mm-hmm. of these, I don't know, just, like, he hears them and then puts them into place. And that's, goes, that's just, George record really is oh, good yeah. for that, because... You know, you, you, I don't understand the words. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you really understand what a, well, how Bowie was really great at melodies mm-hmm. and, and putting a song together. Like, mm-hmm. they're very listenable, even if you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and if you can reduce it down to something as simple as an acoustic guitar and a voice, right. then it, it's going to be it's a good indicative. song no matter what you do with it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really like that idea of songwriting, how it can sort of just be, like, you're in a certain place at the right time and it's contextual. So like to hear Bowie's song, songs through the voice of someone else mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. when you, when you realize like Bob Dylan's influence like mm-hmm. yeah. even if you can't get into his voice or his like guitar playing or mm-hmm. how he is live now I don't know but um, you can't deny his like like that's the songwriting we're talking about and and I think you reminded me of like a First of all, Tom Waits, if that's great for children's music, because I've listened to it and I think there's an aspect of it that's, that's theatrical and very, like, yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I think I had a girlfriend at the time that said, he creates beauty and then he destroys it. And yeah. I thought, and that's, yeah. like, that's really nice. And I think, like, kids are so crazy and imaginative, you know? Yeah. I think Tom um, Waits, too, is work. more is almost more of an actor than he is a musician. Yeah, In sure. a way, because even his persona, it's, every song is a persona. You, you don't know where the real Tom Waits is in there. You know, it's it's yeah. always a, something he's putting on top of it. He's definitely mm-hmm. a performer, like, mm-hmm. first. I mean, mm-hmm. comes from his, you know, his early early days playing, you know, to audiences who don't want to listen. Like, you hear those live albums from his, you know, in the 70s and stuff, and just his control of the audience is, is amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you're right, he plays this character, mm-hmm. uh, who he became, this sort of drunkard yeah. that unfortunately he had to get out of. But, like, <laughs> uh, it's really interesting to see mm-hmm. him, you know, 
Yeah. I think my first, so I, I, and this again, it reminded me, like my first Bowie experience, I guess, that would have been something that I could call my own rather than this thing that we're talking about where he's, you know, everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was at my friend's, we went up to a friend's cottage, I think I was 18 at the time, and I brought this 12-string guitar, and especially if you own like a 12-string acoustic, you have to put a capo on the first cause if it, and uh, tune it down, because apparently like... The, if it's not a very good acoustic, which is a Yamaha, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it, the, the strings can like warp the neck over time. So okay. that's what oh, they yeah, suggested. Oh, yeah, so much tension on Yeah, the... and so uh, they were having a, a bonfire next door. The guys were all like a, like a lot older than us. and Well, not a lot older. We were probably like within like eight eight years or so, seven years ahead of us. And um, they were all playing around this campfire. And I noticed the guy immediately had a 12-string with a capo on first. And I said, oh, hey, you know, because as a kid, it's sort of like you're... You're a bit of a nerd about the instrument yeah. mm-hmm. and before you can like know what songwriting is or anything like that. And so you just want to talk about music and songs and like get into that. And they were playing all these Bowie songs. And I was like, I like I knew the man who sold sold the world because of Nirvana. Nirvana. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> and that song, but now when I hear Bowie's version of that, it's I, I love Nirvana's version of it, but Bowie's version is so it's so sad yet like mm-hmm. uplifting that ability to me is is amazing the whole album like that. that yeah, yeah. Totally. and so these guys that are playing they're doing all bowie covers and they're and they're asking me like can you do this one yeah and i was like what and i realized i kind of knew bowie songs just because they'd I'd always been around them like they kind of play along with them mm-hmm. and i remember they're they're kind of laughing because i was just like i was kind of a kid to them you know and i remember my girlfriend at the time that they said play this song play that song and then she's like he can play anything and I was like well no, she's lying but like you know like she was just being like you know trying to be like we're not kids like she's trying to like, like we can hang with you guys and then one of them said oh yeah he's like play the first day of spring which was a Gondarvis hit remember in the 90s it was like this uh-huh. it was a fairly big song well they were from southwestern Ontario they, okay, went to, yeah. they actually went to my mm-hmm. high school oh really and so I was like yeah I know it and so I, I played the riff from it and the guy next to me he's like no I think you actually play it this way and I was like oh I think it's actually done like this and then he's like yeah yeah whatever and he walked away get to get a beer and then the guys were kind of laughing and I was like this is why are people laughing about that and the guy's like the guy that just told you how to play that he actually wrote that song <laughs> and, I was like, and then it flashed forward and it's 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 uh, and these guys were all again it was all Bowie night it was like they're all playing yeah. Bowie songs and this is Judd who now is like one of the main guys over the three speed like to mm. like he's mm-hmm. runs the place and I told him that story. He was like, "You were that little kid," and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, that was me, you know." But that's sort of like it was. It was just kind of neat to realize that, like, whoa, the Gondarvis, and then realize that I could actually play, sort of play Bowie songs, you know, with an older crowd. It was sort of neat for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably pretty similar to you in that I was very late to the Bowie game. Actually, I was very late to the good music game. Yeah. I didn't even really start playing guitar till I was 18, and so really before that, although I love music, it, I, my exposure was limited. I listen to pop punk and these sorts of things but uh, it wasn't until i was well into my 20s i think it was probably 2005 2006 that i really went back and investigated bowie and it was because i listened to heathen yeah. i just randomly picked up a copy it's in a five dollar bin yeah it was just sitting around because it's not one of his popular albums but like i say it's it, uh it sort of it was right in it fit right in with what i was listening to at the time what i was trying to get into and then i went back and, and listened to ziggy stardust and i listened to the man who sold the world which are still my two favorite albums that he's yeah. done mm-hmm. and uh yeah it was i mean i love certain aspects of him and there's other aspects of him that i can't get into mm-hmm. you know because it's just too foreign to what i want to listen to most yeah. of the time you know such as uh such as like well such as tonight 
Um, yeah, tonight's, tonight's, tonight's not a great album. No. Yeah, no, it's not. And then and then there was there was the one he did right after Heathen, which I which I eagerly oh, grabbed. Reality is that what it was called? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I wasn't into that one. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a really visit. one of my favorite <laughs> Bowie tunes is on that. Yeah. Right at the end, there's a song called. It's got the best title. It's called. Uh, uh, bring me the head of the disco king and it's the coolest <laughs> song and, and, and again it's very simple well not simple but name. it's i know isn't that a great <laughs> name uh and it's again i think mike garson playing i'm not too sure if it's him playing the piano but it's really jazzy mm-hmm. just like piano i think maybe bass on it and bowie on it and it's like mm-hmm. a eight minute song and it's just this great groove song and he's got these wonderful lyrics on it and the best title ever so yeah you should re-listen well, that, it that's the great yeah, should. <laughs> and, that's the great thing about bowie and people like him and this maybe can lead into the legacy discussion, is that there is this sort of way that I mean, he appeals to everyone. If, mm. if there's one album that you don't particularly like, okay, well, there's 19 other albums you totally. can go and grab. Yeah, and, yeah. and it and will he, appeal to somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, there are people something out there. you'll like. Yeah, yeah, yeah like for he's, sure. He's, he's so varied. Some, I was saying I reacted to... Uh, when he died, I reacted by basically... A lot of songs have just been in my head ever since. And I started watching all these old documentaries and just kind of like, well... I never learned this stuff before, so I might as well learn it now. Um, did anybody? Um, how did you all? I was just thinking react? about him all the time, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people reacted that way. Where I just like uh, initially, I feel a lot of people um, were pretty angry that they didn't know it was happening. Uh, and because mm. it was just like out of the blue mm-hmm. and like he just released this record like we didn't even know he was sick all this mm-hmm. but I was actually pretty stoked that he was able to keep it under wraps and just keep it private well, that's also, awesome yeah, like he brought this hum- human concept of the whole thing where it's just like yeah no like that's none of our business, business. Yeah. <laughs> really and, but just yeah no I've, I've it's thrown me into this state of nostalgia for like the time in my life where I was really into him like 10 years ago and I was just like you know it, it's thrown me into just like thinking about his face which is you know it's really creepy mm. but uh hey, but he's, he's got a face I mean yeah it's totally it's I mean he's also of... everywhere so it's yeah, hard not really. to I've but I've watched hours of video of him since he died and yeah. it's just like there's something yeah. about his face like and he's a mesmerizing yeah. person yeah, yeah. yeah. The different colors and there's just and something that, yeah. I think he got better looking Every year up until the day he died. Like, I mean, For the sure. last yeah. picture of him, I think he looks better, like, mm-hmm. more yeah. attractive than he ever yeah. looked, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you watch clips from him all the way up, you know? I, I think he looks yeah. so weird in the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. I mean, to mm-hmm. me. And then by the end of it, I'm like, Jesus, what a good-looking yeah. man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He aged backwards. He yeah, 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 yeah. He's, yeah. He's got this godliness. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, well, he, I don't think he knew, like, he knew he was dying. He knew it was terminal cancer, mm-hmm. but uh, from, from other things I've, I've seen that friends that were close to him, he kind of felt like he had more time he yeah. felt like he had a few more months there yeah. was actually another right. album that he was going to release <coughs> oh wow so he felt he felt like he had enough time to record another album yeah wow. and then i mean like two days before he died it was his birthday mm-hmm. and he's got pictures of him like up and about so yeah. you know it it's the thing with cancer you never know it just yeah you know when it gets you it gets you yeah mm-hmm. and death is so intriguing mm-hmm. as a whole just like it's it's such an interesting thing to think about and, and you know there is a bit of that there's always that fear associated so when it's something that someone that, that you don't know but you felt like you've known for so long just because of their presence in your life and their you know maybe their impact on the music and even if it's not your like your one be all and end all artist mm-hmm. they're still peripherally mm-hmm. around and yeah. then that death is like in your face and like everybody's talking about it and it's just it's very interesting and you can't think about anything else mm-hmm. and uh, I think and you never know for sure I think you never know how you're going to react yeah. to a per- yeah. specific person's yeah. death until mm-hmm. it happens. Because, like, yeah. yeah, I I know when Michael Jackson died, I actually was just like, oh, 
you know, I wasn't really, I didn't really react. Mm -hmm. um, but I can't say I went through a phase where David Bowie was particularly important to me, but I felt his death much, much mm -hmm. more. Yeah. yeah, same here. I was really like, um, I, I was up in Gravenhurst recording uh, when, and um, I was sleeping. And at Curry's music? At Curry's, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. Place. Yeah, I was up recording at Curry's, yeah, yeah. And, um, and I was sleeping in the studio. Uh, and like, I couldn't sleep very well. And at like four 30, I woke up and checked my phone and saw that he died. And I was just mm -hmm. like crushed, you know, which is weird. Cause you know, I was thinking about it like at the time, like, why am I so upset about this? You know, like, mm -hmm. cause I, you know, I love, I like his music, but he was, I don't play anything. Like he doesn't really inspire my music directly as a creator. Like I don't write music like David Bowie. Uh, I, I wouldn't even know how, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was well, that's such a whole a, other question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it was just such a like a. It just took the wind out of me, you know. And maybe it was like you know I'm in a strange place at four in the morning, you know. And and and. But uh, I've been like I was saying earlier, I'm unemployed right now, and I've all I've done the last like three weeks is like listen to Bowie records, like on <laughs> either like vinyl or like online, like the albums I don't have. I've been listening to online, like albums I've never really listened to before, like tonight I never listened to before, and uh, or you know, whatever, uh, Aladdin Sane, I, mm -hmm. I missed that album, so I never got to really listen to that, so I listened to, so I just listen to all these albums, and, like, trying to shake something that, I, and I don't know what it is, you know, like, it's this weird thing, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm so glad I can talk about it right now. That's <laughs> yeah. only, it's therapeutic. It's yeah, therapeutic. yeah, I think so, yeah, I think so, yeah. Big therapy session. Well, I mean, from all accounts, too, it seemed like he was a pretty great guy, I mean, there was some stuff that came out after his death that was a little bit, uh, I mean, he came, lived that long, there's probably going to be some things, but, yeah, sure. uh, but yeah, he uh, like it, it seems like everyone he did interact with on a daily basis was like, like really impressed with the caliber of person he was, which mm -hmm. helps too, right? Mm -hmm. So and that, so people are gonna feel it more. I feel that way because yeah. it's it's not just you're not just reacting to someone to who makes music or yeah. is an actor. It's yeah. it's a person. Right? It's making the god more human. <laughs> exactly. yeah. 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 yeah, for sure. Yeah, and he was also it, in the forefront of you know, the media at the time because he'd released the album yeah. three days before. Yeah. And that's just so, it's so it's backward from what we expect is that like someone who has, you know, is at a height of even like media presence mm -hmm. and then they just die. And it's like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. They're right there. I can see yeah. The album just came yeah. out. Yeah. Why yeah. won't you explain you it feel, to me? How did you feel about Black Star? Um, I, no. I, well, no, that's, I, I haven't heard it yet because, um, I really feel like it's gonna be like a ceremonial album for me. Like, you gotta sit down. I need it on vinyl. Yeah. Uh, and I've pre-ordered it because everyone went out and bought it. Like, so it's all fresh. Yeah. yeah. So I and I just I just waiting for like I'm waiting for it to come in. I'm gonna sit down and put on the record player and just listen to it. You know. And uh, so all I've heard is a single, which I saw the video for, yeah. which was amazing. Yeah. Really great. Well, there's been a couple of different videos he's released. There's three, I think. For that album, is there that many? Yeah, because oh, there was uh, Valentine's Day or Saint Valentine, something like that. I knew those two. I, I, and then Lazarus and Lazarus. then Black Star. Okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah, and I've listened to it through it a couple times, and it's, I, I really enjoyed it. But again, it was like right after he died, mm -hmm. so it was very melancholic and like mm -hmm. I feel like I couldn't really. And you're trying to pick out the clues. Yeah. 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 <laughs> being called Black Star is totally an illusion. Yeah. Like cancer, right? So. Yeah, totally. I would yeah. like to have a more. Uh, like and a song called one on Lazarus. one. Song yeah. What do you have a theory about? Ooh. Uh, <laughs> lay it on us. <laughs> well, what are the chances this is just his latest character? <laughs> 
Wow. Well, you know, you remind me about something. A few years ago, there was a sun. We all love the sun. Just a minute. And there's an article on the front. And oh, it said, sorry. The Toronto sun. I thought you meant the Toronto yeah, sun. Yeah, the sun. Because you have vitamin D. Yeah, yeah. I'm into it. I'm into it. I like vitamin D. But the Toronto sun, more specifically, had on the front page, it said... Gordon Lightfoot dead at whatever, oh, and he it. he wrote back and was like, uh, "I'm I'm still here," you know? <laughs> oh and uh, I, I, like that's an interesting uh, idea. I, and, and it also just like, as I'm thinking here, stream of consciousness. The when SNL did their big show uh, last year, the what the anniversary, 40, show, 20, 20, yeah, yeah, whatever, they yeah. did this thing of to all that we've lost, and it went. If you guys remember, it was a montage of like camera director. They're like they they. Oh, yeah. It was an awesome like heartfelt tribute to like anyone from john candy to like the coffee guy that you know what i mean they put everyone in there wow. and then it says john lovitz right and then it pans to john lovitz and he's in the audience and he's like <laughs> and it's a bit and i was like this is so amazing they did this incredible thing like you know what let's ask john lovitz if he's cool at this and it was like this is the best because like, they get you with all this like oh you're watching this nice, nice tribute and john lovitz and then they like phone in the audience so, like, so you know but like it's funny we can we play with death in that kind of way because of its fact fascination mm -hmm. and i think like it's mm -hmm. i mean what if it's his latest character i like that idea like i mean yeah. i don't mean i like that idea yeah, i just yeah. mean that that's a very interesting people would be like, pretty angry i think if it yeah. was true. they would be they would, i yeah, mean that would sure. be a harsh i'd be pissed it, it, it'd be like, terrible yeah it'd be terrible yeah. Yeah. just but, uh, it comes back as ziggy stardust in like two weeks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that remind, can i tell a, a brief story about uh wax mannequin actually yeah, yeah sure yeah, yeah. wax yeah. fans and i, I mm -hmm. saw him i think in like 2001 in hamilton i was i was going to mcmaster at the time and he closed the show with like, this like industrial pedal beat, like I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. Okay. Like, yeah. at the top of his line. <laughs> so I, I wrote him the next yeah, day yeah. And, he, and he's like, hey, like, hey, Chris. And he was a TA at McMaster at the time. And, oh, well, thanks for the nice words. Like, here's the website. I'm going on tour. This is like early internet. So there, there weren't really like blogs or anything. People right. had websites more often than they had any other, whatever the social media world we're in now. And so I was just like kind of following his tour. And then this one thing it said, Wax Mannequin was driving along the highway in uh, Calgary, and unfortunately, his car swerved off the side of the road, and he's uh, he had a bad car accident, and he's uh, no longer uh, like he's he's not alive, and this kind of thing went on, and it was like there's still a show booked in Hamilton though, um, so help bring Wax Mannequin back to life, and it was like he's like he's gonna eat, like he's gonna come out and he's gonna be like pale faced and like dressed in a suit and stuff, and he's you have to actually chant this like you have to, there's this chant that you had to do and if it gets louder he'll think about performing but if it quiet, quiets down he'll go back to like his death and I didn't I didn't actually make it to that show but I thought this guy is wow. so creative totally yeah. that's a very Bowie thing to do actually. and I think that's yeah. it which leads me around to I, he must be inspired by somebody mm -hmm. like Bowie if not directly inspired then, yeah yeah mm -hmm. Very bold move. It's a super yeah. bold move. Yeah. And, but some, some and I think artists about, can pull that off. And I think about people like Sierra Avery and stuff and mm. his kind of theatricality as well. It's just yeah. like, um, just that it can be done, you know, and yeah. almost no, like most musicians, it's such a secondary thought. Yeah. I mean, am I right in that? What's like that? The that, that, that? No, the theatricality. Death is my first thought. <laughs> every yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, every yeah. day it gets worse. It does get worse. <laughs> you get closer and closer. Closer, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, so what, what, uh, what <laughs> actually? Theatricality. Theatricality, oh. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think, I don't know, theatricality is like how, I, I think there's an, there's like everyone has a, an aspect of theatricality as a performer. It doesn't really matter what it is. There's a certain part of you that has to like, put a show on and then there's mm -hmm. this other aspect of you that's like 
your own very personal thing. Like I, I'm, I'm for instance very attracted to, you know, the Joni Mitchells and the people that yes. are so vulnerable and that mm -hmm. it's kind of like it could be embarrassing for them, but it's so honest and like true and it's it's not like trite. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. kind of like the yeah. thing that I think I'm attracted to most, and that's Same. probably anti-theatrical. Yeah, but um, I don't know. That, but I guess that kind of didn't answer your question at all. So. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I think I'm more... Well, I wasn't looking for a clear cut. No, that's, yes. that's, that's, that's what I was looking for. I'm more attracted to um, a certain presence that someone has when they get mm -hmm. on stage. Like, um, maybe not thea theatrical um, performances, but uh, how they own this stage is something I really find interesting. Like, how they control the audience. Yeah, and audience. how they just kind of make that stage their home for like an hour. That really perplexes me. And and I and I try to figure it out myself, you know, every time you got on stage, because every stage is different. You know, how do you how do you make that yours? You know, how do you like and make them, the audience, yeah. know that it's yeah. your stage? Yeah. You know, yeah. and and I always think I try to think before I go on stage of, of um, the I, there's this great Leonard Cohen video of him at the Isle of Wight festival, and uh, he was brought out at like like way 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 late into the like early morning or something. Uh, to like eat, calm the audience down because they were like tearing down the the fence and they're all coming in. So they brought Leonard Cohen on, and I love that video because he walks on stage and you just feel that presence. Like he owns that stage and he doesn't he doesn't cater. To, I, this sounds a little weird, but he doesn't cater to the audience. You know, it's yeah. like mm -hmm. he'll start when he's ready to start. You know, yeah. so he goes up and he like <laughs> he makes sure everyone's ready to go and he's like, and then he just starts and the you know the audience right away is just like they get it. You know, they're like yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. Leonard speaking. Let's, yeah. let's yeah. all listen, you know? Yeah. I heard a story somewhere about Nina Simone in the mm. same way, yeah. where she would come out on a stage and she would just go to the end of the stage and stare into the crowd until they shut up. <laughs> and then she would get by on her piano and play. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. she's just wow. going out there and like, this is my stage now. You yeah. all need to be quiet. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes that theatricality isn't necessarily like a, like a, a grand mm -hmm. physical thing. It could be just like the energy that you occupy, like the... Mm -hmm. Like the, you know, like the Beyonce, Sasha Fierce thing. It might not be mm -hmm. like a grand, like huge theatrical mm -hmm. in, in the definition of the word, like, you know, that kind of presence, but it is that, like that energy and that other character that you're kind of uh, exuding on stage that, mm -hmm. that enraptures people and that accesses that relationship that grabs the audience's attention. Mm -hmm. And uh, something interesting about Bowie, um, is that like I think for mo for a lot of people you spend like years if not your whole career developing that character mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and then he'll just like come up with a new one yeah. Yeah, and they yeah, all, yeah. They all I, I don't know if they've all worked but yeah. they've like in some way in some way yeah and then I remember seeing a clip of an interview with him after uh, not yet what, what, after Let's Dance mm. came out saying like Everybody's saying this is like the real you finally after all those characters, but how do we know it's not really a character or something? Well, it's something that like I, I know that you and I have both talked about how we struggled when we first started playing music on stage, <clears throat> because I think you and I are both very shy by nature, mm. and, and that sort of idea that like, I'm going to play songs now, but am I good enough? And you mm -hmm. sort of have that sort of crisis of, crisis of conscience every time you're on stage, and mm. I feel like now I've been performing for probably nine, ten years, and I'm finally now just to the point where I don't feel that anymore, or it's like right. lessened, it's... Yeah. deep enough down there and yeah. for someone like Bowie he's probably just born with it it's five years yeah. old he's probably right well, he totally was, comfortable he was in he the went business. to art school and yeah. he was in the business yeah. from the age of 14 14 or 15 think. yeah he was and in that band like, it's, whole, it's yeah. his whole life he's yeah. been like performing and like mm -hmm. you know trying to work an audience in mm -hmm. different ways so uh, 
I, I, I don't even know if he, by the end, if he even knew who David Boy was or David, <laughs> well, David I mean, we're Jones all, we're all was. Just, we're all just some sort of character. I mean, we all do it. Even in our personal lives, walking down the street, mm-hmm. we're all doing, it's all self-presentation in some, yeah. on some level, right? So yeah. he's just embracing it and playing with it, whereas I think most of us can't or won't do that yeah. necessarily. Mm-hmm. I got an interesting insight into that when I was younger because I, I moved around so much where I, had, I went to a different school every year. So within that time frame, like between grade six and grade like 11, I'd been to like, you know, all these different schools. And each time I, I kind of reinvented myself because mm-hmm. like, this is like, oh, I don't want to be a nerd anymore. So I'm going to like, you know, uh, try this thing out or like, oh, I'm going to be this. Or, like, I want to try and be yeah. like the popular kid or like, maybe I'm going to be a slut now. I don't know. <laughs> kids, kids, need to, kids don't have an identity yet. And yeah. It's, such, yeah, it's sure. such a great thing, but it's very daunting. Yeah, do, totally. Do you find you still do that? Uh, a little bit yeah, totally. Um, well, I find, especially on stage, like mm-hmm. I'm a pretty introverted person. Like, I don't love crowds or anything like that. But when it comes to performing, I'm not as daunted because there's that fourth wall and people are like, right. oh, like really? You, you don't like crowds and that, but like that's your job. It's like, yeah, that's oh, an entirely way. different thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, you you can turn zone. on. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know, sometimes you don't even remember all of what happened mm-hmm. on yeah. stage. You know, just no, because it's, it's, it's like, like sports in that way. Like, yeah. If you've ever been in a game or any, any game literally that you're playing, doesn't matter what the sport is, but you realize at the end of it that I didn't think of anything for an hour and a half mm-hmm. right? Right. except where, where I was and what I was doing. And that's yeah. exactly what uh, playing music is like. And it, mm-hmm. Not recording music necessarily because you have to be that's, such a nerd about it. Yeah. 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 But, and writing as well. But the performing of it is totally mm-hmm. like sports. It's, yeah. You know, you're totally, yeah, we'll able to zone out, focus yeah. on whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, right? Yeah. 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 But there's also an element of like the ownership of the stage. I feel like for me being, um, being an introvert typically in everyday life and, 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 um, the youngest of four kids, what the stage feels good. And I feel comfortable in part because I go, it's my turn now. (laughs) This is my stage and you guys aren't on the stage. (laughs) And it's not, it's like, yeah, it's like, I, I just won't say anything the rest of the day. And then I'll save it all, and then I'll put it all into the right. show. Yeah. Yeah. I find I go into a huge shell after I perform. Like, Me too. I, I get immediately really, just. I, I get really I need to shy. get away from yeah. people. I need to just be by myself because I feel like I've expended all of the socials while up there on stage. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I can't do this anymore. Expended all of the socials is a really good <laughs> phrase. Yeah. And all my shyness is actually, I find it's worse when I feel like I did a really good. The better I feel like the show yeah. went, mm-hmm. the more like bashful I am when I get off stage, and I'm just like, "Oh, thanks, okay, yeah. I hope you liked it." Yeah. <laughs> People are coming up to you, and you're like, "Oh, don't, don't compliment me. That's oh. yeah. Yeah. which I don't think is very constructive. Probably not. <laughs> Maybe Probably not. Good for yeah. um, okay, so so Bowie finds out that he's dying, and he's like, "All right, let's make this record. I'm gonna try to make another record before yeah. I go." Um, it's interesting that that's how he reacted. Magnum opus. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I, think like it's, went... I think it's a very Bowie, sorry, but I think it's yeah. a very Bowie thing. Like, I think yeah. he went out in the most Bowie way possible. Mm-hmm. Like, but anyways, I'm sorry. Thanks yeah, I know that was just like, I think it's great that he like undertook this great feat, like this, like this great exit. Mm-hmm. It was just like the most beautiful thing where he just like, yeah, put out this record. And I, I mean... Maybe I, this is new information to me that he didn't know that he was dying yeah, so and it was soon. Yeah, I remember just reading one story about it, yeah. so who knows. It was a friend of his that said he thought he had more time. I think it was right. Asante who said that. It like, he thought he had a little more time. And, yeah. And, and maybe he was plan. trying to, like, lead them off the scent. Maybe that was true. I don't maybe, know. Yeah, but, like, it, was, it yeah. just was all very, like, 
it like brought everybody through the motions of like it's like they're like a continuation of that album like where the mm. dynamic was like this and then the mm-hmm. ending happens big climax and then everybody reacted and, and it's, then like, like, it's oh, all very mystery perfect. There's, maybe yeah. there's another album and that's that a really interesting thought right yeah the yeah. idea yeah. that like the final track of the album is actually just him dying <laughs> and like he left that off the record itself, obviously, because it's not a medium that can do that, but that the <laughs> yeah. record was all leading to that climax. Uh-huh. That reminds Maybe. me of, we were just talking about CDs the other day, and that was sort of the life and death of the hidden track. <laughs> no one wants to make, like, four final and be like, at the end of side D, there's a hidden... You just have to listen to all the space. <laughs> the hidden track of, of, of Bowie's death, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I guess in this day and age, it would be the download of, that comes with the vinyl or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just <laughs> the bonus track. A <laughs> or just not listed. Yeah. 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 Um, I read about this really interesting thing, though, on the topic of, of death and just, like, acquainting oneself with, the, with mortality. There are these groups, and they're, like, pro-death groups that were... At first, it started with people in the medical community getting together and kind of, like... Uh, just having that camaraderie about their own experiences with death and having to you know, have a first, exactly having a first-hand experience with death and like just dealing with that emotionally and like what it means. And then there was such an interest from different communities around the world of just you know people who weren't involved in the medical community to be involved with this and like be able to talk about death with people who have experienced it and just everybody's different uh reactions to death and experiences with death and it's actually they're they're like pro-death groups where people just get together and talk about it and like become more comfortable with it Mm -hmm. uh and it's really interesting i'm like i'm not sure that i wouldn't be into that you know like i I would love to be more it's like watching six feet under i don't know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's like the entire (laughs) show is about being you know more being immortal basically and having to confront that yeah yeah it does give you that sort of uncomfortable feeling but like i mean as artists we probably all have some sort of pleasure in the uncomfortable so maybe that's why we're attracted to it Mm -hmm. i I think part of the fear too that that comes along with the well the fear of death itself is is it has something to do with our sort of something that we can't control we sort of i definitely have anxiety about things that i don't have control over right yeah like if i'm not flying the plane (laughs) so i think if if palliative care is a really great example of of coming to terms with something where you're you sort of feel like you're more in control of it because if you're already accepting that it's going to happen, I think that's almost like that resignation is having control to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. And uh, it reminded me of this study they did actually at like uh, the Johns Hopkins Center in Baltimore where they were using um, psilocybin, you know, magic mushrooms for patients uh, in palliative care for dealing with cancer, uh, quitting alcoholism and smoking, and uh, just standard anxiety and depression. And like psilocybin's ability to kind of like put the, you know, these, this state of mind that these, these people were able to like deal with their death in a much easier fashion. I'm not articulating it as well because you can actually watch it online, but all the subjects talk about it and, and during the documentary they pass and um, it's, yeah, it's, it's really amazing to kind of see. Cause I mean, yeah, death is a very fascinating topic, but I, I think there's a control aspect there that I, mm-hmm. at least that's how I would relate to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in, in that control aspect, I feel like if I found out I was dying, it would <coughs> be a little, it would be, it would be too wondrous for anxiety. Yeah. Cause I would just yeah. be like, Oh, well, I mean like <laughs> okay. I, oh, I, I was diagnosed with cancer about a year and a half ago and it was never a type of cancer that was going to kill me, mm-hmm. but, uh, still, you still sort of like, oh, you had my to go body that. is trying to kill me now. And like, I, I feel like 
it didn't last like the the whole uh, time of me actually having cancer, at least realizing I had only lasted a few weeks, and then I was in remission, and so like I'm lucky that way. But uh, I just I was just depressed. Sure. I couldn't take it. It was yeah. like, I was I w- I didn't do anything productive. I yeah. basically resigned myself to watching episodes of Community on my TV wow. and doing nothing. <laughs> like, and I don't know. Maybe that would have had I had to deal with it longer. I probably would have come out with come out of that. It was only really a couple weeks where I was like, "Holy shit, am I dying? Like, what's mm-hmm. happening?" You know. So. But yeah, again, it's one of those things that are like I say mm. what I think, how I think of yeah. it, but I'm yeah. not gonna know. Yeah, yeah. who knows? I'm not yeah. t- entirely sure to be all that artistic. I think. Oh, I was. I don't know. I mean, yeah. it actually took me a while nice to, to get think it back. you're yeah. gonna be like Bowie. You know, yeah. you're like I'm yeah. gonna make the There's, best album of my yeah. life now. You know, like. Yeah. But I don't know if I would be. I, I think I'd watch a whole bunch of Terrence Malick films and like be around <laughs> the people I love as long yeah, as possible. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Do you think you'd do a, make a record? Either of you would make a record if you uh, um, if you had like they say you got. 18 months or six months i first of all wanted to answer to the fact that like there's nothing wrong with going into your cave when you're sick and right um, and because every time like i had mono i remember and it was like sort of it was pretty bad and and this you know the um sort of part of myself that's uh what's that agoraphobia where you kind of or that phobia where you actually um worry a lot about uh personal harm there's there's a word for it anyway (laughs) It's, it's always, always like, like every time I get sick, it's like, this is the end, you know, like, yeah. I hear that door song. Um, and so I think there's, there's got to be a stage of that when you get sick of like that general fear. But to, to answer the question of like, if I had 18 months or something, I, I think now about sort of the way I'm just like recording or, or making something or writing something, it's sort of like, even if I'm working on some sort of demo that will never see the light of day it's like that's just what i'm doing even if i don't have like a goal to mm-hmm. so I, I think i just i would be making everything that i try to make up until five to 18 months but i don't i don't think it has anything to do with that i think it's just it's something i i would do anyway and i don't know i i definitely wouldn't stop but i can't say that i would make this great uh right <laughs> yeah, yeah. i have no way of knowing yeah and like you have no, so that's that's as easy as i can answer yeah and i don't even know if it, like i probably would to be honest, like maybe I would. Uh, I I write a lot about death as it is, and so like that would be a lot of fodder, if anything. Or maybe uh, this would be your like happiest album. Yet. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Go the, the opposite album. direction. Totally. <laughs> yeah. But like I remember, like like probably that like when I was at my saddest, I just like recorded an album, and it, like wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. I just did it by myself. It was like this kind of experimental, folky thing, and like that was like probably one of the most like the feelings where I was most alive was then, and just like to just like create this tangible thing and just like you know the feeling of singing and the feeling of writing and just putting it all together and yeah. trying things out and like that's uh, I would obviously spend a ton of time with my family mostly but then this would also be like you know and fulfilling also, the end of days yeah I was thinking like a couple months 18 months is a little different yeah, <laughs> yeah that's why yeah, I kinda, yeah, I, yeah, time. you can plan it I think yeah, six. Yeah. I'm sure I would do a whole bunch of things yeah. I think six would have been a better number to pick because because <laughs> then you'd, you'd have to sacrifice in other things mm, in order to right. do it 18 yeah. months is like a lot of time yeah. but yeah. Um, but I think I would you would make an album I think I want to put I, I, I guess I'm just a little bit obsessed with this like leaving behind what, like leaving behind something yeah. Um, and I always have this fascination about like, I write a lot and there's all this stuff on my computer and I have this fascination about like, oh, when I die, like, 
can't wait for everybody to actually go and read all that stuff. And like, just clear your browser history. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I want it to be laid all out there. Yeah. I, I really want. I have this fascination about people once I'm gone really getting the full picture. Like my sure. family particularly, people I'm close to. Like, just oh, no one's family, family gets that. them, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I mean, right? But the, the other end of that spectrum, I, I, was thinking, I was actually thinking about something like that pretty recently where um, I have this box of like poetry and shit that I wrote in high school, and it's garbage. It's awful. Oh, yeah, like every word is awful. <laughs> yeah. And I had this moment where I was thinking, Jesus, can you imagine if I died at like... You know, and that was like what they found. Like, they put it in a book? And, it's like... Oh, yeah. It's a, you know, I would be bar- embarrassed. I'd be dead, but I feel like I'd be so embarrassed, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the, thing, the stuff that's on my computer that I've written that hasn't seen the light of yeah. day is usually pretty terrible. So yeah. I keep it around because there might be a nugget of something that yeah. I can use yeah. later, but yeah. generally... See, I, unfortunately, you can't, like, delete that on your yeah. back. I'd just be like, five yeah. seconds, yeah. click, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like that's what, like, I don't want to erase you want it unfiltered mm-hmm. yeah. well Elliot Smith had a bit of that right yeah, I mean yeah. like when he died all this stuff came out after his death that he'd been working on a lot of stuff that he never intended to release mm-hmm. it was just kind of around and yeah, yeah. I don't know there'll be plenty of Bowie releases oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I I think so. if this if this yeah. other album is a real thing I mean I'm sure he's got demos and yeah, apparently he'd only worked on. on like five tunes or something so mm-hmm. but you're right it could be demos and stuff yeah but uh, there's that's the other thing is like I don't think a lot like think of like the Hendrix estate like those guys are the worst they like really like if it's like oh I got this this you know video of Hendrix brushing his teeth you know it's like that's going on the next thing you know like yeah yeah, exactly yeah (laughs) yeah and it's like that stuff I think is really awful like Mm -hmm. uh, you know and and Hendrix is the worst I think but you know, Elias, not Hendrix personally. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and let me tell you my opinion Hendrix. on his guitar playing. No, uh, no. too revolutionary. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. His 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 estate is the worst. And uh, I can't remember someone else. And that's a lot of it is is like who's in control of that after yeah. you're dead, and maybe that's what you need to make sure of. You need to make sure that you tell someone if I die. This is the folder you look at. Yeah, yeah exactly. This is the one. Yeah. My, it's labeled death yeah. in the events of my death. Yeah. Yeah. Release this. Yeah. <laughs> Get um, famous people to record on this. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just dub it, with, dub it with like I don't know some rich. Um, I'll get life insurance, but just to fund a posthumous album. Right. right. Yeah. You can only use Perfect. this. Yeah. yeah. Um, so to broaden the question a bit, it's just like it, how is the idea of leaving an artifact behind of some kind? I honestly haven't really thought about it. I mean, I, to some degree, I've I've thought about it, but I haven't. I haven't given uh, a certain amount of time and thought to it, mm. per se. I, I think for me, I, I I don't know if I have a lot to say about thinking about it personally, but I definitely mm-hmm. know that like when like my mom passed away, and my my brother is a lawyer, and I'm I'm working in music, so it balances itself out. Um, he's <laughs> a lot less sentimental than I am, so. Like I, we, it's sort of the ideal situation to have when someone passes and you're the beneficiaries because there's no arguments. It's like, he's like, uh, yeah, you should take the piano. That's like my great grandmother's. And, uh, Mm -hmm. there's like all of this like quirky, um, old, old things, but I was like, really? Like you don't, if you don't want to donate it, you should take it all. And so I have all of like my mom's journals and like all of Mm -hmm. these old things that are from like when she was like a teenager. And, uh, 
because now that, that that she's gone, I don't feel bad about trying to document or put a put a story together. Because yeah. I wouldn't, I would never like read her writing if she didn't if want she, me to read it while right. she was alive. But because I'm sort of carrying on her memory, I got to read this awesome post. I think it was, and it, I haven't. Now I'm just thinking about all all the stuff I haven't read. But a few weeks ago, I read this this post because I found her little red book in the basement, and it was like. 1967, like June, um, they lived in Scarborough at the time, and her, her brother Billy, she's like, Billy, Billy and I went and saw the Beatles last night at the gardens. It was okay. It wasn't as good as last year at the at the CNE with all the screaming, because I guess like... That, that was mania. Could, yeah, that was yeah. mania, but this was like this was like right before the Beatles like kind of stopped This is one of their last gigs. Yeah. And I went on to like, I, I, I just Googled the, um, God bless the internet, the, <laughs> the date, and, and it said like... Beatles, Maple Leaf Gardens on like last FM, last FM. Here's the set list, and I was just like, oh, "This is so, so neat." And I didn't yeah. know that so when she cool. was alive. She never yeah. told me she saw the Beatles. You know, yeah. you, you, the, the post was literally just like, "It was okay." You know? yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, "That's so I'm funny. so so." And to answer the question, I'm so glad to have her her, her things because yeah, preserving absolutely. she did leave those things behind, and I feel like mm-hmm. it's sort of my duty to carry those things on. And yeah. if I ever have children or something that I think that's when I would be thinking about that sort right. of thing because yeah. I think there's something really great that's what else do you like that's sort of like your role I think well life is essentially meaningless it's the meaning we assign to it and I think it's mm-hmm. a positive thought but it's a it's to carry on the memory or legacy of whoever it was that's like really inspired you mm-hmm. I think that's what yeah. we're talking about and I, yeah. and I think that people who are close to you are going to it's not, that's the way that I would think about it is that whoever's close to me would hopefully carry something on that I'm leaving behind there's a star waiting in the sky He'd like to come and meet us But he thinks he'd blow our minds There's a star waiting in the sky He's told us not to blow it Cause he knows it's all worthwhile He told it Thanks so much to Will Whitlam, Sky Wallace, and Sean William Clark for being our guests on this discussion. We're going to be doing some more episodes like this in the future but in the meantime, a week from today, next Monday, we'll be coming out with our first proper interview of the season with our guest, Graydon James. Now, if you're a fan of the podcast, we encourage you to go to iTunes to subscribe if you haven't already and to rate and review us because it really helps increase our visibility and get more people aware of the podcast, more people listening, and it helps us to grow this thing. Also, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We'd appreciate your help. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. I quit my job. I quit my job. I quit my job. I'm free today.